Okay, hello everybody. Today is Tuesday, and on Tuesdays this year I've been doing a segment called True Crime Talk Radio. But first, like the ad says in the beginning, McFarland Books has been cooperating with this channel, and I will be doing my first episode on one of their titles, which will come out on Friday for the Anything Goes segment, and that will be about the Miami Strangler. And you can hear more, or read more rather, about the Miami Strangler in the book The Flat Tire Murders by Michael P. Burns. So, lots of things to look forward to here on this channel, and if you haven't hit the like button and subscribed yet, now is a great time to do so. And of course, in addition to just listening to some of the episodes, which is the best way to support BBOR, you can also help out the channel by going over to Amazon.com and having a look at the book Killer on a White Horse by me, Ned DeHaan. It is a novel murder mystery inspired by the Zodiac Manson connection, but it is fictional, but who doesn't love a good mystery? And there is always the Teespring page. Feel free to have a look at some of the merchandise. And remember, being weird is not a crime. And I am also the host of the program Astro Psych 400. And please look out for some new episodes on that channel. I'm going to be uploading my podcast for sleep. Some people said that they use this program, BBO War, to fall asleep at night. And I thought, why not create a segment that is purely designed to help people fall asleep instead of listening to true crime. Listen to something that is, um, well, intentionally designed for sleep benefits. You can find that on the channel Astro Psych 400. And if you're curious about astrology, there are plenty of videos over there on that subject. To begin this episode, I would like to give a shout out to Professor Japanese 007, who sent me a video on the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski. Now, the Unabomber mailed a series of explosive devices to people, and they were responsible for the deaths of three people, and 23 people were injured. He is a criminal that doesn't really need that much of an introduction. I'm sure you guys know the story. But the Unabomber was transferred from Colorado to a medical facility in North Carolina. And there are many headlines that are um, sharing this uh, story. ABC News says Unabomber moved from prison to medical facility. And then that's caught my attention. But there was something else that I found, because in the news coverage, there was actually an article that was from 2016 by the Treatment Advocacy Center that talks about the mental state and the behaviors and the conditions that the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, was experiencing. And I would like to go to that article now one more time, Treatment Advocacy Center. One of the country's most notorious terrorists, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski, is reportedly to speak out for the first time in years, but there's a catch. He wants people to believe, as he does, that he is not mentally ill. Now, this happens from time to time in the true crime world because people who go out on a mission and they are not only committing horrible crimes, but they're also attaching themselves to things like the Unabomber Manifesto, for example. They don't want to be viewed as mentally ill because they want to be viewed as a genius. They want to be viewed as someone who is in control of their mental faculties. No, I did this for a reason. And, of course, they want people to appreciate their intelligence. We saw something very similar back in 2011 with the um, attacks that occurred in Norway by Anders Bering Breivik. And during the legal proceedings that came after the um, terrorist attacks in Norway, which were perhaps some of the most uh, shocking and haunting events of that country, he didn't want to be viewed as mentally ill. And I believe, going off of memory, that the 
psychiatric conclusion for Anders Bering Brevik in Norway was that he was not psychotic at the time that he killed eight people in Oslo and um, 69 people in uh, on Utoya Island. He wasn't psychotic, he was just an extreme narcissist. And that almost seems like what Ber Anders Bering Brevik wanted to hear because, again, he wanted people to read his manifesto and the Brevik manifesto was about 1500 pages long and some people say that it is just large portions of it are just blatantly plagiarizing the Unabomber manifesto but there's a difference between the American justice system and the Norwegian justice system in Norway Brevik was sentenced to 21 years I mean he murdered 77 people and someone did the math and said that's like four months for each murder with the Unabomber he experienced a much harsher penalty. I mean, there's no 21 years for murdering three people and injuring 23 others. And as this article points out, Kaczynski isn't only a murderer, he is also a terrorist. I mean, how what would you call him other than that? I mean, a terrorist is a very fitting word for the Unabomber. And I believe Ted Kaczynski was given eight life sentences and absolutely not going to be getting out of prison in his lifetime, with the exception of visiting places for medical treatment like he is currently doing in North Carolina. And the uh, Treatment Advocacy Center says, Kaczynski is currently serving eight life sentences for making and sending numerous homemade bombs that killed three and wounded more than 20 during an 18-year period. Kaczynski recently sent a letter to Lawrence Wright of The New Yorker saying that he wants to talk, but the 74-year-old who was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia wants the journalists in the world to know that he is not crazy. I'm ready to speak to someone from the media regarding my brother's recent comments to discuss how they're going to be used to torment me, Kaczynski told Wright in his letter. I'm asking you to write back, affirming that you understand that I am not mentally ill as my brother Dave would have you believe. Now the first point is, when you're talking to people in the medical community, they have all their own definitions for words. And especially with psychologists. Now, they can dispute this with me if they want, but it seems to me that psychologists have their own meanings that they attribute to words. When somebody uses the term mentally ill or mental illness, they're not talking about actually having some type of neurochemical imbalance. Mentally ill or mental illness, that just means dangerous or destructive behavior. And... On the Serial Killer podcast, which is hosted by Thomas Viborg Thun, a Norwegian, he states that all serial killers are mentally ill. And I have to agree with that. I'm not saying the psychologists are wrong. It's just that I, yes, all, ser all serial killers are mentally ill. And if somebody like Ted Kaczynski was committing these crimes where three people died and 23 people were injured, as well as perhaps other crimes that some people attribute to him, whether it's the Zodiac Killer murders or other types of um, crimes involving the male. Yes, Kaczynski is mentally ill, but as we said with Anders Bering Brevik, of course he was mentally ill, but he wasn't deemed to be psychotic at the time. And I think perhaps Ted Kaczynski, maybe he means more that he was not a clinical psychotic, maybe he rejects the diagnosis of paranoid schizophrenia. So let's go back to the article. Kaczynski's belief in his own sanity goes all the way back to his 1996 trial when his lawyers attempted to enter an insanity defense, but he rejected the plea. At one point, Kaczynski requested that 
he be allowed to represent himself on the grounds that his lawyers thought that he was mentally ill? Um, you see, with something like that, he probably had very clear awareness of what he was doing. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but from watching true crime cases, following along with court TV and such, you can see that the insanity defense is often used with someone who is having a psychotic episode when they weren't aware of their mental faculties, like someone genuinely did not know what they were doing. And you hear this very frequently when the trials play out in the courtroom. You'll hear that this person had the ability to know right from wrong. This person had the ability to do their actions in a deceptive way. They're not insane to the point where they're unfit to stand trial. They're just cold, methodical, calculating, ruthless, and showing indifference to human life. Although Kaczynski's case is an extreme example of the reason behind his lack of insight into his illness, it is quite actually common amongst people with severe mental illness. Approximately half of the people with schizophrenia and bipolar disorder do not realize that they are sick. A condition called anosognosia. This was the first time that I had heard about that. That's why I wanted to include this article in the discussion. Anosognosia mean unaware of unawareness of illness is a syndrome resulting from anatomical damage to the brain and is the single largest reason behind why some individuals suffering with severe mental illness do not take their prescribed medications. Those affected believe that there is nothing wrong with them, even if it is obvious to those around them. But we also have to remember that somebody like Ted Kaczynski wrote a manifesto. He wanted his ideas to be respected, and he wanted people mostly to respect him because... I was recently discussing this with Mark Hewitt on the Zodiac Killer channel. I'm also the host of the program Zodiac Killer Interviews with the Experts, once again on the Zodiac Killer channel. And I interviewed Mark Hewitt, who is the author of Hunted, Profiled, and Exposed, three books about the Zodiac Killer, and the final one, Exposed, talks about the Zodiac Unabomber connection. Mark Hewitt believes that Ted Kaczynski was not only the Unabomber, but he was also the Zodiac Killer. And we were discussing the Unabomber manifesto on that episode, and I brought up a point that I think Mark mostly agreed with, that Kaczynski was very deceptive with his intellectual ideas. For example, there are people out there who try to use Ted Kaczynski as someone who they can give the label to. All right, I don't agree with what he did, but he was pro-environment, he's against industrialization, and that seems to be very far from the truth because Kaczynski was not pro-environment, he was a poacher, he tortured animals, stabbing dogs in the buttocks. He was also very rough and abrasive around people when he thought there wouldn't be consequences for his actions, waiting for a family to leave that lived in Montana, then striking their home with an axe on the side wall. And during that interview, I was trying to be very careful with my words. But there are people out there who try to use the Unabomber Manifesto to justify an anti-government agenda. I've even clashed with some of them back when I did my four-part response to the Unabomber Manifesto here on this channel. That was done back in the early part of 2020. It's still in the black box with the pink bubbles format. I think there's one of them that has some snowflakes in there, too. Gotta love background imagery. But, you know, a podcast all the same. And I would invite anybody to listen to the episodes here on Black Box Online Radio. But when I was reading the Unabomber Manifesto, I really did not believe that it was an anti-government 
manifesto. And so many people try to do this. Like, you can even see memes on Facebook talking about how Ted Kaczynski was anti-government. He didn't like liberalism. He was in favor of all of these things that these far-right groups are trying to justify. But when you actually read the manifesto, he is critical of everyone. And he says very clearly about this whole anti-government agenda, the people who are supporting that have the same thought process. It's just instead of swearing allegiance to the government, they are swearing allegiance to the business cycle. It's right in there, clear as day. So I really found that he's just being critical of everyone, except for maybe some exceptions, people who chose to live his type of lifestyle, where he's talking about just living in a small cabin, alone in the woods, man will suffer, but he will do it stoically. That maybe has somewhat of a clear idea, but there might even be a contradictory phrase about that. The Unabomber Manifesto is filled with contradictions, and I think that that is something that doesn't truly get reported. Some people simply say, oh, he hated the government. Other people simply say that, oh, that's the deranged writings of a madman. I don't think that it's completely deranged. I think it's coming from a calculating place, but definitely about fueling his ego and his own self-image and his own desire to uh, just prove to the world that he is better than everybody else in some way. I mean, that's my take on the subject, and if anybody would like to dispute that, I welcome any responses down in the comment section down below. You can share anything you want to say about Ted Kaczynski or the Zodiac Unabomber connection. On that note, because I did host the program Zodiac Killer Channel's Interviews with the Experts series, I also interviewed Howard Davis, who is the author of the Zodiac Manson Connection. You know how I was talking about with Killer on a White Horse was inspired by the Zodiac Manson Connection, but it's a very different story. It's not set in California, it's set in the state of Maryland, and all kinds of different um, characters purely just an inspiration for it. But I talked to Howard, who actually wrote the book on the real Zodiac Manson connection, the idea that Bruce Davis, Charles Manson's right-hand man, was the Zodiac killer, and also that Charles Manson orchestrated the Zodiac killer murders. And if anybody would like to hear more about that in Howard's own words, you can go over to the Zodiac Killer channel and hear my interview with him. Howard has also appeared on some other channels, such as Planet X Filmworks. But I had a recent experience that reminded me of that interview. And first, when I interviewed Howard Davis, he began by saying that he has a retentive memory and that he remembers events very well. So immediately he's starting out with something that is relevant to his credibility. And part of me is like, okay, I mean, I get what you're saying, you want to prove that you actually are able to recall conversations that you've had very clearly. I mean, I have a retentive memory. I can remember the details or the context of um, conversations better than a lot of people around me, so I didn't want to put him down for that. But the thing that really got to me is that, firstly, he says that somebody who is a pristine source has provided him with the information that the authorities figured out who the Zodiac Killer was very early on, but they didn't want to arrest the person because it was indeed Bruce Davis. And they didn't want to have a trial because he's already going to go to prison for life, or maybe even death at the time. California 
removed the death penalty and then they brought it back. And all the Manson family members were commuted from death to life in prison. But no matter what, Bruce Davis already has one of the maximum penalties that you could get. So he's already going to jail. They don't want to have this trial that's going to cost $2 million, exhausting resources when someone is already going to be behind bars for the crime. And that does happen in the true crime world. I was um, listening to a podcast, I believe it was I Survived, once and this the exact same thing happened. A woman was trying to get um, the authorities to prosecute a man who had raped her, and they simply said, hey, he's already serving life in prison in another state. We're not going to extradite him back to this state to have a trial and go through all those expenses. That is the justice that you're going to have to get. He's already behind bars. So what Howard Davis says about this conversation that he had is that somebody provided him with that information, and he took a voice stress analysis to prove that that conversation actually happened. And he said that he is going to take a lie detector test once he actually gets the uh, funds together. And part of me was just thinking, why does he have to do that? That isn't even about the facts of the Zodiac Killer mystery or the Manson family. Those are about the image of his credibility. He's just trying to get you to believe him as opposed to looking at the facts of the case. No, I'm telling the truth, and here, look, I'm a truthful person because the sole fact that I'm truthful. So, and if you go through the Zodiac Killer interviews that I did on that channel, you'll find that Howard Davis by far has the most amount of talking time. And I didn't interrupt him. I let him say what he wanted to say 95% of the time. And I also feel that he did that because he didn't want to be challenged. He didn't want any type of challenge questions, so he just kept ranting for the duration of the recording. The Zodiac-Manson connection is something that I don't think a lot of people genuinely believe. Now, back in uh, 2020, somebody wrote it in the comments section, and I once said that it was the comment of the week at the time, when they said, I like hearing about the Zodiac-Manson connection. I don't believe it, but I like hearing about it. And I think that that's just it. It's almost bordering in, or going into some gray area territory when people are using true crime for just some form of wacky entertainment. And I wouldn't say that it's so extreme like some of the people who immediately incorporate paranormal elements. Like they immediately think, okay, well, this person must have been murdered by a ghost. Or the only explanation for their disappearance is UFOs. I wouldn't put it in that extreme territory. There's still there's still some merits to the Zodiac Manson connection, which I've talked about in many episodes. But I really did not like that Howard Davis was simply trying to get you to believe him. And after one of the interviews, someone who asked that his name not be attributed to this statement, a lot of you can probably guess who it is, said... Yeah, this guy, Howard Davis, he is running a company that sells homeopathic medicine and cure-alls. He wrote an alternative history to the Mormon church, and he's selling the Zodiac-Manson connection. The guy is a flat-out con man. Now, I don't know what anybody else has in their heart other than me. That's just something that a pristine source 
has provided to me. And um, you can, if, if, if Howard gets to have a pristine source, so do I. But I was talking about that uh, conversation that I had with Soren Korsgaard, who was the author of America's Jack the Ripper, before we started our interview on the Zodiac Killer channel. He responded to me by saying, well, now, hey, wait a second. What's wrong with um, writing an alternative history to the Mormon church? And my simple answer was nothing. If someone is actually exploring the material in an academic way, and they're actually saying that they found some new discoveries, well, people do this all the time. People can investigate any type of subject. I talk about all types of subjects here on Black Box Online Radio. And no, I'm not writing and selling alternative histories to anything. But when those three things are put together, selling homeopathic cure-alls, writing the Zodiac Manson Connection, and writing an alternative history to the Mormon Church, yeah, I do get suspicious. Absolutely. I do get suspicious of someone else's behavior, and um, I definitely have my doubts about Howard Davis's credibility. And But the biggest problem is, even if, even if it turns out to be true that Howard Davis did actually hear a conversation, or he had a conversation with someone and he heard the words that they didn't want to have a trial for the Zodiac Killer because it's a member of the Manson family, he's already going to jail, they don't want to spend $2 million on it, it's going to take ages, so they'll just bury the evidence. Even if somebody actually told him that, it doesn't mean that it's true. Can people not be mistaken? Can people not misinterpret ideas? Not Howard, but the person who had the information to begin with. Is that not possible? Absolutely, things like that are possible. Even if that conversation had actually happened, so what? That's not evidence of anything. That's just somebody running their mouth at Thanksgiving or whatever holiday it was. So I think that uh, puts a wrap on the Zodiac Manson connection for now. Other than the fact that Howard Davis is not the only person who has talked about this. A lot of people explore the Zodiac Manson connection in their own ways. It's just Howard Davis actually has a book out under that subject, The Zodiac Manson Connection. For example, Thomas Henry Horan talked about this very frequently, that is it possible that the Zodiac's ciphers, the 408 and the 340, were meant to be the green light and the red light for Charles Manson's Helter Skelter and the CIA could have been involved? I mean, not saying I endorse or believe any of them, just other people have talked about it. Ray Grant also wrote something in his book, Zodiac Killer Solve, when he suggested that Another Zodiac crime occurred where somebody cut the victim's ear, and it was done in the same way that Gary Hinman was murdered, one of the people who was murdered by the Manson family. So that those are just examples of how um, people try to do some type of Zodiac-Manson crossover. But recently on the channel, I did an episode about Jean Benet Ramsey and the murder that occurred back in 1996, and the news just reminded me that it was the 25th anniversary. I mean, I did indeed intend to do that right after the um, anniversary because Jean Benet was murdered around Christmas, December 26th, but they did point out it's been 25 years she was murdered in 1996, and it is now 2021. And perhaps some of these um, would actually be very suitable for the AMA. That's the Ask Me Anything, where I can respond to your questions and comments, and that will be coming out tomorrow. But I did want to talk about some points that were raised by people 
here in the comment section to that recent episode. It was called, Did Burke Ramsey Murder Jean Bonnet? And I see that this is a very popular theory. This is a theory where people want to um, truly explore it because Burke Ramsey was Jean Bonnet's brother, and he was definitely in the house. Just she was found murdered in the house. He is one of the people that would have had access to her. You don't need to make up any silly story or any reason why he is present. But we had a question come in from Rob S. who says, Why did you read the theories of from a person named Tina, one of the listeners to your show, Why Not Lou Smith? And I responded by saying, On this channel, I interact with the listeners. And that's just it. That's just it. I listen to you guys, and I do recommendations about what you guys want to hear about. And you can always write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com, or the way that Tina did on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box. There's also a page for the show, Black Box Online Radio, on Facebook as well, and Instagram, blackboxnid88. And the reason why I chose to read off her theory about Burke Ramsey being involved, which you can hear all about in the episode, Did Burke Ramsey Murder Jean Benet? is because I thought she articulated it very well. And here is a very, very new point in life, a new time in life even. I remember Jon Stewart was being interviewed on the show Larry King Live back when Larry King was still doing that one. And they were talking about reading off tweets, like things from Twitter. And he said, what is this? You're reading things from Twitter? Are you getting your news from the guy in the bathroom? And yeah, that's funny, it made some people laugh, but the whole point is that sometimes someone can have an idea. Other people can have ideas, and the reason I chose to do an episode based on her theory is that she put it all into a very easy-to-understand manner, and I read it because I disagree with the Berg-Ramsey theory, and Rob S. talks about Lou Smith here. He was an investigator on the Ramsey case, and Lou Smith was very famous for doing a possible recreation of how an intruder could have broken into the Ramsey's home, showing how it would have been very easy to break in through the basement window, and why? Why did that person murder Jean Benet? I mean, numerous people have explanations. They think that someone might have had a financial dispute with the Ramsey's, or that somebody might have wanted revenge on them for a particular reason. And one theory that I've heard it just simply, again, from the comments section, an observation that was made by someone who follows the material, is that it's not a widely discussed theory, but could Jean Benet have been murdered because of the pageant world? The pageant world is cutthroat, and I do not dispute that. Um, I haven't done an episode on that theory because I'm not sure what to say about it. I don't think there's enough info that has been put out there. There's also a very, very sad and sinister topic to discuss, and I'm not even going to say it, but the first letter is C, the second letter is P, and it deals with um, videography involving children. And I did an episode on that exact um, uh, subject because I, I heard a podcast that featured the writer Stephen Singular, and he laid out his theory about what happened to Jean Benet, that there was a sex ring that was involved in Colorado that had done that to other numerous, that had done that to other girls, that they had been tied up in the exact same way, and that the ambition was actually to make a video of Jean Benet being 
murdered, as horrible, horrible as that sounds. So, there's all kinds of theories. And I have always said, if somebody has written a book about something, or they have done a podcast, or if they have put their ideas out on the internet, I'll talk about them. I won't always agree with them. And like on the Zodiac Killer mystery, I don't endorse any suspects. I don't have my own suspect. I am simply undecided. But it's just that. That's how we get information. That's how we share information. You can talk about someone else's theory, even if they aren't famous. And sometimes people who follow this show make excellent observations. And I incorporate them into the program, particularly on the AMAs that happen um, every Wednesday. And if you have any requests for uh, topics that you would like covered here on this channel, and um, I'll try to get to them. But the AMAs are perhaps going to be some shorter episodes as well throughout the next uh, couple months. I'm really going to try to get back to these longer episodes that I can do where things are going to be more than an hour because I like listening to long content. I was, ta I was saying that yesterday on the um, announcement that I did, saying that Zodiac Mondays is going to be probably done in a shorter version instead of a one-hour episode, maybe about 10 minutes because some people like that content. But the problem is I like to talk. I like to go on and on and on. I go this way and that way, all up and down. And... We don't have time limits, and Joe Rogan, of all people, said this very clearly. This is one way in which YouTube beats television. You don't have to respond to time limits. I was watching an interview with Mike Rodelli on Fox 40, and he had about three minutes of talking time to talk about the Zodiac Killer. And I was when I, when I responded to Mike Rodelli, I simply said, Hey, uh, it was great, but I wish uh, they could have given you more time. It looked like you were just getting started. And he definitely agreed with that. Because the time limits on TV, like you have to have a 22-minute episode, and it's going to be filled with commercials, and it has to be done in such a precise way where they even have to cut out the truth if it isn't going to fit into the time slot, so to speak. So with YouTube, you can do that. You can have a three-hour podcast. Some people do five hours, so to speak, and I think five hours to the point I can't even make it to the end, to the end of those episodes. Yeah, I do listen to three-hour shows, one hour Monday, one hour Tuesdays, and one hour on Wednesdays. So perhaps there'll be some longer uh, content coming out in the, um, in the coming months, but for now I'm going to do a, a few short episodes on Zodiac Mondays and the AMA. So please, um, Put your questions down in the comments section down below. I would love to hear from you and respond to this in any way you want. And what do you think about John Benet Ramsey? What do you think about the Unabomber? And what do you think about the Zodiac Manson connection? All right, well, that's all for me now, and I will see you over on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.